ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday, December 6th edition of the program. As usual on our Wednesday show, we have Bobby Harward in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. And last week, we said Silly Season is here. Silly Season continues here on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the colors as the transfer portal continues to pick up. Guys are entering left and right. And uh, we will try and see if there's any other entries today for ECU. More than 20 players have already entered. We'll get into that. We will take your comments, questions, as always, on HTC, on our YouTube page. 94.3 The Game YouTube page. Give us a like, a subscribe, and also our Facebook page. We're live there as well, along with Twitter. Bobby, how's it going, man? Good, good. Uh, so, Stephen, for those listening, yep. Stephen had said he was up in his shirt game today. So, uh, he came with, he came in solid today with that uh, 97 Broncos Packers Super Bowl shirt. Love it. Yeah, this is the uh, the animated version of the shirt. John Elway is known as uh, the dive in Denver. But uh, one of the first games and one of the reasons I became a Broncos fan, Bobby, That's I was awesome. watching this game as a five-year-old. And thinking, hey, those Denver Broncos uniforms are pretty cool. And they won the game. John Elway is a pretty good quarterback. So we, uh, I just latched on to the bandwagon. They won another Super Bowl. And then John Elway retired, and they were terrible because they had Brian <laughs> Greasy as their quarterback. So that was not a fun time. But, hey, it's better than what uh, many of my fellow commander slash Redskins fans have experienced, along with the Panthers recently. Yeah, we, we, we dealt with Rex Grossman and – who knows else? Rex Grossman. Yeah. Gosh. Yep. All right. So we got a lot to talk about today, and we're, we're going to get into this new NCAA proposal here in a little bit. We're going to talk about the portal as well, but wanted to start with uh, Bobby getting his take on new offensive coordinator, John David Baker. So it was interesting, Bobby, last week at this time, like I think right before I went on the air, either mid-show Somebody sent me John David Baker's name, and I couldn't report it at that time that he was in the mix and interviewing. But we were like kind of talking about it. We we're like, "Is this guy like is he is he really going to take the job? Why yeah. did he come from Ole Miss as coach to take the job?" Turns out he did take the job. And just your your general thoughts on the hire, the move Mike Houston made? Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I told you after the show, I was worried I was going to have a Freudian slip and announce his name and piss off Mike Houston and all that stuff. But uh, it's also, I mean, again, a week later, he was announced on Monday, had his press conference, and just shows you how quick college football, how it goes. I mean, especially now coming up into a recruiting season. Extremely impressed with the hire. Um, I think Brett Hickman said it best on your podcast, your Hoist of Colors podcast, that he's going for a home run hire. So he's either going to nail it out of the park or it could fall flat on its face. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. But based on what I heard, um, I would probably lean towards a home run hire um, in the sense that, you know, he, he doesn't have play calling experience, which is my biggest concern. I know he had mentioned he had called some stuff and, you know, some of their scrimmages and things like that. But still, that's different when, you know, there's live bullets 
flying. Um, Rick Smith would let us call it as GAs during, you know, our Thursday night scrimmages with the young guys, but he would always comment to me like, hey, you called some plays I probably wouldn't call. And it's like, yeah, because there's not as much on the line. Right. So <laughs> you can do whatever you want to. Yeah. So I'd call some corner blitzes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, going back to JDB, just again, I, I think – we're going to be excited uh, seeing this offense on the field. I think it's going to be explosive. We're going to see a lot of speed, uh, city speed. And, um, you know, one thing, I started watching the Ole Miss-Mississippi State game, and I didn't get but maybe to halftime. But one thing I did notice that popped up on the screen was Ole Miss was third in the nation in explosive plays, so 20-plus yards. And I think they had 75 of them going into that Mississippi State game. 75. 75, which, again, Compared I don't know. ECU. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and so that's my point is we should see a lot more of that. First thing that comes to my mind, too, is, is Javius Bond. I think he can excel in this offense, and I'm excited to see him. I mean, did ECU even have five? Explosive. I mean, I guess if you count what a run over twenty and a pass yeah. over thirty. I mean, I mean they they had some. I know Mason had a long run. Alex Flynn had a long run or two, and I think Rajay had one in that last game. But I mean, there were very few yeah. in the passing game, especially. I think most of them were probably long runs. Yeah. So if they come anywhere near seventy five, which a lot of that look, you got to have speed, you got to have talent. We'll get into what ECU needs to add in the portal here shortly. Uh, Samurai Chat Show says, "Go Cowboys." It's been a while since the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, but they did beat the Broncos back in the day. And uh, John Decker Golf Instruction wants to know, has anyone asked John David if he will coach from the box or sideline? I uh, We have not asked him that. I've not asked him that at this point. We will ask him that next media availability. We are planning to get him on either through the ECU Sports Network or 94 through the game at some point. The problem is he's just... You know, the coaches are on the road, Bobby. Yeah. It's just absolute chaos right now, talking to some of the guys as they try and recruit right now. It's just, I mean, there's there's zero downtime for anything. So we'll, next time we get a media availability with John David, we will ask him that. I got I'll, two trains of thought on that. Yeah. One, it seems like these air raid guys, uh, and I know I'm putting him into the air raid category, and that's not that's exactly. That's where he started. So. Right. A lot of them like to be on the field. Um, so you'll notice that throughout um, college football, a lot of those guys that come from that tree are on the field. Now, the flip side, uh, Mike Houston seems to like his play callers in the box. So uh, we'll see how they work that out, but it's going to be a good question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. And just talking to Donnie towards the end of his tenure, he felt at least like this. It, this is my take. I think reading between the lines, he he wanted to kind of be on the field to talk to the quarterbacks because they were inexperienced. Now, if you got an experienced quarterback, you can probably live with it. Um, you know, not being on the field, but you want to be able to look those guys in the eyes, Bobby. And so for me, a lot will depend on what quarterback you bring in too. Do you trust that guy after an off season? Does he have experience? You know, hopefully for ECU's sake, they're getting a guy with experience, but uh, I think that plays a role too. Yep, and you have to have a guy on the staff that you trust as well, because that's no going to be if you're going to be on the field, you have to have eyes in the box that you trust and, and know you can rely on. Um, just for for reference here, it was Dave Nickel for Lincoln, and then when when Dave was on the field when he got the coordinator job, it was Garrett Riley, and obviously, you know, Dave moved into the OC role, and then Garrett is now the OC at Clemson, so had guys that they knew and trust. So I would imagine if uh, Baker is on the field. It's probably going to be one of the guys he brings in in the box uh, just to be his eyes uh, upstairs for him. And two, it looks like he was on the field at Ole Miss as an assistant, at least based upon pictures. Now, he may have been up there at one point, but most recently on the field, you know, 
there's some pictures of him celebrating after touchdown. So obviously he was on the field. So that that'll be something we ask him. And you know, does that you know at times Coach Houston has said he's kind of encouraged his assistants to go to the box. Does he let John David pick what he wants to do and then see how it rolls from there? Uh, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. But good question, John Decker. Uh, we'll continue to update you if we have any more information on that. All right. With this offense, Bobby, what, you know, is it kind of a good thing? Maybe there's a little bit of unknown, at least as a first-time play caller, in terms of the, the defenses as they do like a pre-scout. And you would think Norfolk State in the season opener, it is a good opportunity to get your feet wet in the offense if you're if you're John David Baker in this offensive personnel but you wouldn't show your whole cards so then when you go to ODU when you play app when you play Liberty you kind of can hide some things maybe that as a first time play caller it's it's not easy to, to scout for that is what I'm trying to say yeah there's no film on you right now because I mean they can look at all the old Miss film all the you know Seth, Seth Luttrell or Bryles you know that whole tree that branch where he came from any play Sean Gilbert was at they can look as, as much film of that as they want which they probably will I, I know I threw out a lot of names but honestly you have some time in the off season, so they're probably going to look at all that film just to get uh, bits and pieces but even if it's the same offense, every coordinator calls it differently. So there will be some differences the way uh, Baker calls it, you know, compared to how Kiffin called it. I'm sure there will be a lot of similarities, uh, scheme similarities, but maybe, you know, he has some preferences in the run game, some calls he likes better. There's maybe some motions or shifts that he likes better. That's the other thing I failed to mention in your first question was, I think we're going to see a lot more motions and a lot more shifts. I think when I watched that Mississippi State game, it was almost every single play they either shifted or they motioned in some capacity. Right. And so I do think we'll see that a lot. But uh, it, it is helpful. I think it was mentioned yesterday, too, on your show um, that – it is going to help that we, you know, have a light schedule to start out with because he's going to be able to feel his way through play calling. He's going to be able to make mistakes, and, and you know, we should have stronger rosters to be able to come away uh, with a victory and with a win. And then, you know, he can learn from that as the season progresses. But um, I think spring's going to be big for him too. Um, you know, even in those spring practices and those scrimmages, it really, you know, mentally for him, he's going to have to, you know, get in that kind of game mindset of, of calling stuff throughout practice in those team periods. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And the other thing too. I noticed you mentioned that motion. They run a lot of the orbit motion where the either the slot or the back goes behind the quarterback and then way over to the side. And like even if they don't throw to that guy, Bobby, it you know, it opens up the running lane because it freezes the linebacker and it freezes that, you know, nickel back or Sam linebacker, whatever you want to call it. And like I just felt like we didn't see enough of that at ECU for a running game that really struggles to make one-on-one blocks or execute consistently. Like, sometimes you have to help yourself out with misdirection, get defenders, you know, eyes looking elsewhere, too. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I I think that was kind of surprising as the year evolved that we did not see that last year, and that was disappointing. And I wonder how much was Donnie trying to keep things as simple as possible for the quarterbacks? I I don't know. Um, I did like hearing, you know, John David Baker state how easy the offense is going to be for them to pick up. Um, So I'm curious, too, kind of what that looks like, the verbiage that they use. But to your point, when you do any of those motions and stuff, you either have to rotate a safety down or you have to bump people out. And you're not just going to leave it uncovered. And when you bump people out or you you roll the safety, gaps are shifting in the run game. And 
you know, you may not get them out of gap every time, but you have a lot higher chance uh, if you do run any motion or shift. I mean, when I was on the defensive side of the ball, we one of our uh, Friday uh, walkthroughs was just literally we'd have cards with shifts and adjustments and motions, and we would just run through that. I mean, you have to spend time on that as a defense uh, to make sure your gap sound, and, and it's just an extra thing. Something else you got to prepare for. Yep, exactly. Uh, and, you know, I just felt like there was not enough teams had to prepare for for ECU this past year. All right, so you look at John David Baker right now, from what I understand, he's still trying to piece together his offensive staff. And, you know, the running backs coach, there's been a change there. And offensive line coach, there's been a change there. Other areas still being kind of finalized. It does sound like, I believe his name is Matt Maddox, will be the offensive line coach. It's not 100% finalized, signed yet, but the deal has been agreed to. He has been uh, with Sterling Gilbert at several stops, and then Sterling Gilbert coached uh, Baker in high school and is now an analyst at Ole Miss. So you got all these ties where essentially John David Baker is going to bring guys with him on his offensive staff that he's familiar with. And so I'm glad this is happening. Look, I hate it for the guys who are having to move on or be reassigned or whatnot, but it's part of the business. And ECU does not have time for John David Baker to teach you know, an offensive staff that's already here. Hey, this is how we need to do this, 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 and this. They got to hit the ground running. It's a huge year upcoming. So just your thoughts on, you know, the new direction they have to go offensively and probably the right decision, even though there's hard decisions being made there. Yeah. The first thing you think about is those families that are getting told to move on. I mean, it just sucks. You uproot your family, you move here and and you're being let go. Uh, So that's the human side of it. Now, from a perspective of, what allows ECU to win the most games the quickest? Uh, this is the best avenue to go. I think that's why they're going this route. I'm happy Mike Houston is allowing John David Baker to hire his staff, do the things that he wants. Um, we had heard before Houston and Mogridge was, were close, and for them to bring in an O-line coach, that kind of shows he's let, he's given Baker everything that he needs. And I mean, when a new offensive coordinator is hired, the first thing you look at is, all right, what's going to happen with the O-line coach? Because that's the most important hire. Most of the time your coordinators coaching the quarterbacks so you need someone to coach the offensive line and you need to be aligned in your run game philosophy and how you're going to teach and coach things uh, from a blocking standpoint so um, again hate it for those guys that have moved on but it does um, you know just gives more continuity we saw in the NFL here locally with the Panthers they tried to force people onto a staff and look how it turned out so uh, that's the flip side of it when that does happen you kind of see the the those those results those negative results and honestly last year Donnie Kirkpatrick you know he had worked with Steve Shankweiler a long time so losing him bringing in Alan Mogridge there was a learning curve there you brought in a new receivers coach at the last minute due to uh, you know the losses of Latrell Scott Chris Foster you had the shift Boyette to running backs coach so it just felt like the offense was out of sorts all the way down including the staff I think they had a big reason why they struggled so much along with the personnel. Kenny Curlin said Donnie dumbed down the offense so much for our quarterbacks that the other team's defenses had an easy time covering us. I mean, yeah, it looked pretty simple watching it on Saturdays, <laughs> yeah. Bobby. I don't know what you Yeah, thought. I mean, I always go back to uh, – I'll never forget that year uh, Ben Kurt got hurt. And uh, so uh, Kurt Ben Kurt was sitting in that quarterback room, 
and then uh, Philip Nelson was in there too, and Philip couldn't play because of the all this stuff at Minnesota and whatnot when he came. And I remember Dave walking out mid meeting one time, so pissed off, and he's like, "The two guys that cannot play are the only two that are answering the questions that I'm asking for this game plan. They're the only two." And so that this kind of goes to how simplify or uh, how much you have to simplify it sometimes uh, for these guys. And yeah, that's probably what happened. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's what caused the results that we got. Hey, y'all are still five and seven, though. Jimmy yeah, Bowen. Yeah, we were five. And we had some good talent, especially out wide, and some guys that could make plays, which we did not have this year uh, either. I mean, but to me, that that season shows. And y'all again, y'all did have more pieces, but it shows even if you don't have the most talented quarterback, you can still be competent as right, a team. Right. Yeah. And this it, this was not that it was not competent this past year no yeah that that we did adjust kind of mid-season as the season go went on to a lot more heavier personnel sets just knowing you know what we had um and blocking scheme wise brad davis the o-line coach at the time uh was a lot more uh, comfortable with gap scheme stuff so we implemented a lot of the gap scheme things and run game that we that you saw then um as well but yeah that's i think that's another reason we're seeing the move is there was really no adjustments um unfortunately for for donnie and and, uh, you know, it's got us to where we are now, and they're in a win-now season for next year. No doubt. All right, last question. We'll take our first break. Uh, did you watch the John David Baker press conference? And if so, what did you think of kind of his persona, his his vibe? What vibe did you get from JDB? I did watch it. Uh, the first thing I thought of was he, he did not make it about himself, which I thought was cool because the press conference was about him. It was mm-hmm. about him being hired. But in his own way, you know, he gave – credit to those that were you know taught him and coached him up to become the coach that he is now to get this position and then he also talked about ecu and and what he plans to bring here i think he was very self-aware i know that's been mentioned a number of times you know here on this show and on the message boards but those were my two big takeaways like he he is very self-aware i don't think he's arrogant i don't think he's coming in knowing he has all the answers which is good because as a first-time play caller you're going to want to look for help on your staff you want to you're going want to ask questions to try to get you know all the help and assistance that you can to expedite the process so that was my biggest takeaway from from that presser on monday kenny curlin says you guys should have stayed with blake kent more that year he was very serious never smiled one time i mean i do feel like what i can't remember what game it was maybe usf where y'all tried summers and like just couldn't move the ball at all yeah part of the issue we wanted Summers to be the guy. Yeah. Um, we, we tried to probably force that a little too much um, because he was so explosive in the run game. He had a decent enough arm that he could put some zip on it. The issue was, I mean, he was the example of one read and go. Um, there was no progressions when he, when he took his drop. And, and honestly, I love James. I don't know how much he knew. Uh, who his first read was in every play because there was a you know for him he was coming in as a receiver gets moved to running back and then quarterback and he was all over the yeah, place yeah so it, it wasn't the best situation for him either I know me and him would meet every single morning during game week to try to try to prep him for hey this is what you're going to see these so are the plays we have Bobby, blame uh, me <laughs> for for the lack of production at quarterback that's why I'm sitting here at 33 years old and not calling plays at ECU like John David Baker at 33 there you go all right. Bobby, today brought to you by Subdogs, 213 East 5th Street, Greenville. You guys know all about Subdogs, downtown Greenville, our sub show through the ECU Sports Network on hiatus until either late January or February, but we will be back there. And, of course, Subdogs always open 
in downtown Greenville. Winner of the Barstool Best Bar. Multiple-time winner. Great spot in downtown Greenville. All right, let's get our first break in. We got some more questions rolling in about the quarterback situation, what ECU needs to look for. We'll get into that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back in Hoist the Colors. Wednesday, December 6th. As always, we, we are talking ECU current football. We've talked about John David Baker, new OC. And somehow we, we're now going down memory lane. Blake Kemp, James Summers. I was talking to Bobby during the break, who was on the coaching staff at that time. And I'm like, why does this season get brought up so much? But then I remembered Ruffin McNeil got fired at the end of it, and that's why. And also, you look at these games, Bobby. Y'all did go 5-7. and seven. 31-24 loss at Florida. Could have been a win. That ended up being, I think, a 9-10 or 10 win Florida team. At Navy, that was a pretty good beatdown. That was a, a was that Malcolm Perry Navy? I think I they believe were good. So. Yep. Uh, y'all beat Virginia Tech, crushed SMU on the road. At BYU was another game you could have easily won. 45-38. They scored on a last second touchdown. You beat Tulsa at home. And then Temple comes to town. This was Matt Rule. Temple really good. Y'all were in the game. Could have won. Temple pulls away late, 24-14. The UConn game was a tough one, 31-13 at UConn. But then South Florida, another good South Florida team. They come to town, y'all lose 22-17. And then, of course, after beating a bad UCF team, 44-7, the 19-16 loss on the last second field goal. So there are one, two, three, four, five of the seven losses, one possession. Or I mean, Temple was two possessions, but it was a winnable game. Yeah, yeah it was a painful year. We lost four of our last five. Um, yep. Yeah, and you know that South Florida one is tough. The one I always go back to is that UConn. Like they beat us by eighteen, but that UConn team was not good. They weren't. Uh, we just played so poorly um, that game. And y'all started with a pick six, Deshaun Bent. Oh wow, what a name! I forgot about him. <laughs> ECU finished that day with three hundred and forty yards of offense, which would have been. Above average for this year's but, team. But, you know, that's the thing. You know, we're 5-7, and seven, competitive, and then we saw what we got, the uncompetitive the next three years. I had mentioned to you, I think that's the biggest thing with that firing is there was no plan, and I know we had talked internally of a staff before. You know, honestly, going into that 2015 season, I remember this conversation in August in that coaching, that offensive coaching room of, Looking at the future schedule and feeling, hey, this year's we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be rough. But if we can, you know, at least tread water, you know, we we could uh, potentially win eight to ten. We thought a minimum of eight, probably a maximum of ten. That that 2016 season, just because there were so many coaching changes and stuff that were going to be occurring, and you know, yeah, it just didn't get that opportunity. And two, y'all, you had Philip Nelson sitting out. And you had Kurt Benkert tear his ACL, what, a week and a half before the season yep. started. So, yep. like, to, to have those two factors go against you and still be competitive, it was just, you know, short-sighted, which we could go into the, the <laughs> firing of rough. We could do a whole show on that. But yeah. well, let's not go down that path. I just wanted to talk about the quarterback situation. All right. Quarterback situation transitioning to the current one. Sports Samurai uh, chat show. He, he says I can just call him Samurai. He says uh, Cole Hodge confirmed his excitement and commitment to ECU. They also recently offered Jordan Bell, class of 24. Do you think they will try to carry five to six quarterbacks on the roster? 
If Flynn stays, he also says Ole Miss carried between seven and nine quarterbacks. Now, three or four of those guys were walk-ons at Ole Miss. I looked them up, but they did have at least four or five. So, uh, first thing, Cole Hodge, I did talk with him last night. Uh, John David Baker and Mike Houston visited him yesterday. He's all in. His brother, Connor Hodge, is all in. So, there's you know he's definitely there. We don't know what Alex Flynn is going to do. Jordan Bell is actually being recruited as an athlete receiver. I think he's more than likely going to end up at Memphis or Virginia, but we'll see there. Uh, so right now you've got Raheem Jeter going into his redshirt freshman year. You've got Cole Hodge. That's two for sure. Or not 100% for sure, but you would expect them. Alex Flynn, you don't know at this point. If he stays, that's three. But So you're looking at two to three guys right now. I don't think you're starting quarterback for next year's in that group. I agree. I think, I mean, you mentioned Hodge. He's not coming into the summer. Yep. So you, you need guys for the spring. Uh, you got Jeter, who who's returning, but, you know. Hasn't played. Has not played a lick of downs. Has there, you know, been, it's been tossed around that he's a little inaccurate. So we'll see how that plays out. He, you know, he's had a year to adjust and get in some college coaching. So he's going to be new. I think Alex Flynn, this is just my prediction, no insider information, nothing like that. I do not foresee him being here in the spring. Uh, reason being, you got a new offensive coordinator, everybody starting with a blank, blank slate. He's a smart guy. He knows how the season went and what they're trying to do offensively. So then that leaves, you need to bring two to three guys from the portal, um, whether that or the JUCO route. Um at least for the spring. I mean, that's that's what makes this December period so important because you have to get guys here for January, not just from. I mean, obviously, you need to learn the offense. You need to, you know, get acclimated to your teammates and all that stuff. And I mean, the last thing you want is your starting quarterback in the fall showing up in the summer when you can't coach him up. So, I mean, you got that standpoint, but you also need arms to be able to throw and practice. So <laughs> that is true. They do have a walk-on Ty Little who could contribute to that. But, I mean, as far as scholarship guys, I think you got to get to a minimum of four, if not five. Yeah. I mean, by, by the time the fall rolls around. I think in spring you at least want three, if not four. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things. you got Jeter. We'll see. I've, I've heard maybe Flynn, maybe he goes through the spring and then decides what he wants to do. But that could depend on also what happens in the portal. I think ideally you you want at least one guy for sure that has played football and maybe you try to add a younger guy. Like if it was me and you could have your ideal world, you would get an older guy either with one or two years left, Bobby. As somebody asked, do you think ECU will lean more towards Juco or Transfer Portal? I think you get you could you could use either one, but I think you got to get one guy who's older, ideally has a year or two left but has played for, you know, legitimately like been a starting quarterback has that experience you know what you're getting uh even if it's not the highest upside guy in the world and then maybe you try to get a younger guy who either has not played as much at a premier program but has upside was highly recruited or you know an fcs guy who's trying to make the leap that feels like he has the ability or a juco guy somebody that has three or multiple years of eligibility remaining to be the guy if he doesn't win the job this year he could be the guy after the older guy if you could somehow do that and get two guys I don't know how realistic that is, but that would be the path I would try to take. That's the ideal scenario in my head. And, you know, if they do go the third route and getting a third quarterback, to me, you 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 take one of those Juco guys. Right. Maybe the guy in Mississippi that they're, they've offered already. 
I don't know if he's still in the plans with with John David Baker here or not. I would assume so because they start, you just got to talk to him, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you offered him after you already announced that Donnie was, you know, mm-hmm. leaving. So, um, yeah, I think you have to get a surefire starter. For me, it doesn't. I'm okay with an FCS guy that that has put up numbers and shown he can play. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with that, but you do have to whether it's FCS, whether it's power five or group of five you have to bring a guy in that has played and that has tape out there um you know i'm, I'm with you on the standpoint of yeah i hadn't thought of the the idea of bringing in a guy that has you know three four years left that, that's a good thought because you know i had kind of th- been of the mindset you bring in an experienced guy and then you bring in a guy that kind of that boomer bust thing we talked about uh earlier with, with john david baker and that hire but from a quarterback standpoint Boomer bust, and he can be the guy and really, you know, put you over the top, or he's just going to be out of the program in a year. Right. I mean, you could take that route too, where you get two older guys and just let them battle it out for the job. And basically, the guy who wins it will probably stay. The guy who loses it will probably transfer again, or you know, stick around. I mean, we see quarterbacks transfer as grad transfers for spring ball somewhere, lose the job, and then transfer somewhere else. I mean, that has happened before. You know, you could do that there. You could do that. You're bringing two grad transfers. Say, hey, compete for the job. Whoever wins it will be named starter at the end of the spring, and then you can make a decision from there. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can go about it. The other factor in this, too, is, Bobby, there's a pecking pecking order. ECU's kind of got to wait to see, all right, top guys going to this school. You know, there's a lot of teams looking for a quarterback, and it's kind of like quarterback roulette. And ECU kind of has to fill things out and wait till. I think the game gets to their level to what they can afford because you're going to have to pay a quarterback to come here. Right, and that's what's a little unknown for me from the standpoint of you got guys like McCord from Ohio State. You got, I believe it's Ward that's at Washington State. Some of these big time, Riley Leonard from Duke. You know, they're guys that have entered the portal that you would think if they're going to enter, they probably have some sort of idea that where they're going. But I, I just don't know that. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, are some of these you know, lower Big Ten schools, mid to lower Big Ten schools or, you know, Big 12 schools, are they waiting and trying to go after those big names like McCord and Ward? Uh, because if they are waiting, then that is going to put those quarterbacks we're looking at um, in kind of a holding pattern and it really is going to delay the process. Um I think we should see soon at least have an idea, especially those uh, uh, VIP subscribers on Hoist the Colors. I would imagine we would get a visit or two here within the next five days. Yeah, I mean, you got this recruiting weekend, you got next recruiting weekend, then it goes dead again. And you do have the very first week in January. I think it's January 2nd through the 7th for transfers to visit. But I don't think you want to be waiting that long. You know, you would like to have a guy kind of going in the signing day and uh i mean just looking at some of these names i mean there is a there's a ton of i would say capable quarterbacks in the portal bobby i mean you might not be able to get the slam dunk you know guy who's going to go get paid a million dollars and ecu can't really compete in that realm but you know there's multiple quarterbacks transferring from vanderbilt there's uh guys you know guys transferring from utah uh, UCF, even like some of the Tulane backup quarterbacks have looked pretty good, like Kai Proctor, who hasn't been able to start over Michael Pratt, but has done well when called upon. So, I mean, there, there's there's so many routes you can go here. Uh, even today, Cam Fancher from Marshall enters the transfer portal. I don't know if he's the answer or not, but he's just – you've got guys who could come in and be decent, better than we had last year. Yeah, and some of these bigger names too, I think we're going to be surprised where they end up. Like, 
There's only so many spots to go exactly. around. Guys want to start. You know? Yep, exactly, exactly. I think some of these highly recruited guys that we're seeing transfer, I think we're that 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 they don't have tape. I think we're going to see them kind of land at these lower power fives or these you know higher up group of fives. Hopefully, we can steal one of them. But you know, yeah, it, we talked about it last week. Not all these transfers are going to land on their feet, and I think the same thing going to happen here. I. David Mackey is made in, uh, <laughs> former ECU assistant coach as well. Where's he at, Troy now? Congrats on yeah, your conference championship, championship, dude. David. Uh, he says, my number one question for the call-in show is, what's up with that mustache? He says, miss you guys. Hope all is well. What's up, David, and congrats. What's up with the mustache, Bobby? Oh, it's uh, it's a go-to now. Apparently, I have a baby face if I shave everything. Okay. So I, I do love the mustache because I've been lazy. I've let the rest of it grow out. Dave, Davey, uh, David, excuse me. I'm uh, so excited that you texted in, uh, so I keep mispronouncing your name. But miss you, dude. Hope all is well. <laughs> yeah, man. Appreciate you tuning in, David. Uh, and uh, Always a big fan. Of David Mackey, one of the nicest guys in the industry. So glad he's experiencing some success at Troy. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about this new proposal from the NCAA and essentially a chance for a new subdivision of Division One football, which involves a lot of payment NIL going under the school umbrella. We'll talk about that, get some discussion going with that on the other side. This is Hoisted Colors on a Wednesday. Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. We were discussing some uh, Major League Baseball hot stove during the break. By the way, did I see the Orioles sign Craig Kimbrell? They did. I'm pretty excited about that. I am, you know, because Batista is going to have Tommy John or has already had it. So they needed another back end arm. I think Kimbrell does the job there. I'm curious to see what the deal is because I don't think uh, Mike Elias has given a multi-year contract to a pitcher yet. So um, we'll see. I did just read, too. Scott Boris had mentioned that uh, somebody asked them, have they the Orioles reached out about uh, signing Gunnar Henderson or Jackson Holiday to a long-term contract? And he said only once or twice a day. So that answer at least gives me hope. i kind of been under the uh, speculation that the Orioles have not tried to extend some of their young guys, so hearing that they're at least trying, you know, ex- extending anybody with with Scott Boris is near impossible, but at least they're trying. And Alex Verdugo, we got Phillip, who's a Red Sox fan. They trade him to the New York Yankees. Rare Red Sox-Yankees trade, and apparently the Yankees are closing in on Juan Soto as well, so I guess the Yankees are trying to go all in, but I know that, that probably stings a little bit, right, Phillip? Yeah, it does. You know, normally when a guy goes to the Yankees, you can at least hate him for it, like Jacoby Ellsbury. Like, Vardugo had no say in this. It stinks. I really liked Vardugo's uh, kind of a packed outfield for the Red Sox. You expected them to move one of those guys, and Doogie was kind of the front runner that would get moved. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, you know, there's 28 other teams in the league, and kind of wish you would have went to one of those places. Is it going to be the curse of the Doogie now? I guess. Instead I hope of the great not. Mambino. Yeah, I hope it's not 84 more years. But uh, they got <laughs> out of the three guys they got, I, I like one of them. One of them's okay. And then the third guy, I guess, was just compensation for the trade. But we needed some pitching, so it is what it is. Meanwhile, you got my Seattle Mariners just trading players to dump salary as they enter their contention window. Great, great ownership out in Seattle. Boy, AA may be the best GM in baseball. Yeah, he's consistently fleecing people, including Seattle. So, I could rant an hour about that, but nobody in Eastern North Carolina cares, probably. All right, so let's get into this discussion, guys. A new proposal 
from the NCAA president has been sent to the Division One schools, and essentially it's going to be an opportunity for – and I should start out by saying this is nothing final. This is just an initial proposal, so we'll probably see a lot come out of this and change over the course of months. Maybe this will be a year, year-to-year process, but either way – the proposal has been sent by the NCAA to the schools, essentially with the ambition of creating a new level of Division One football or a subdivision of it, along with the FBS and FCS you have now. And it would essentially take the NIL money that these collectives are raising, like Team Boneyard, and allow the school to have it under their educational trust fund. And at minimum, according to the initial proposal from the NCAA, Entry into the subdivision requires a school to invest a minimum of $30,000 per year per athlete into what is termed that enhanced educational trust fund for at least half of a school's countable athletes. Schools will determine when athletes receive the amount, which for four-year athletes will total at least a minimum of $120,000. Schools must continue to abide, and this is a big one, Schools must continue to abide by the framework of Title IX, assuring that 50% of the investment be directed toward women athletes. So if you're paying the men $10 million, if you're paying the football team $10 million, the women got to get $10 million too. So there is a lot to unpack here. That is a, uh, and by the way, the minimum is 30000 And so you're going to have schools in this proposal that probably spend way over that. Uh, but this is, guys, I think this was inevitable. This is... I think the NCAA's attempt to try and keep the SEC, the Big Ten, the big boys from splitting off entirely from the NCAA, and they're trying to keep it under the NCAA umbrella. So we'll kind of go around the table here. Bobby, what did you think when you saw this? What do you make of this proposal? First off, the term enhanced educational <laughs> trust fund is the biggest load of crock <laughs> out there. educational trust fund. The fact that they're even tying in education to this is uh, just yeah, whatever. Hilarious. Yes. Um, so I had two initial thoughts. Number one, uh, reading this yesterday, this is the first thing that came to my mind. This allows the NCAA to wash their hands of having to essentially um, be, um, you know, the law of NIL and having to come down with um, punishments to these schools. Like, no way, shape, or form did the NCAA have any desire or any want to punish your Georgias, your Alabamas, your Texas A&Ms, none of those teams. So this allows them to wash their hands of it. You can switch the rules so they don't even have to backtrack and try to come down and punish these schools um, for breaking NIL rules. Um, So that's number one. Number two is I do think this expedites the split because obviously, I mean, even within the Power Five realm, there's only but so many teams that can actually afford that. So, especially when you start counting the non-revenue, you know, women student athlete sports, that's going to, you know, because you can't just pay the football team; you got to pay everybody. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the really you got the, most of the SEC can do this, and your top half of the Big Ten, and that that's pretty much it. Maybe there's a Big Twelve team or two, but. Really not. I mean, and a few ACC teams. I mean, you're probably talking 30 teams that can maybe do this. I know I'm doing some reading. They thought realistically maybe 60 FBS teams could do this um, and and make these payments. But still, there's going to be a competitive disadvantage there. And to your point, I hadn't thought of that. I do think it's the NCAA's NCAA's way 
of trying to keep it under them just so you know they still have jobs because they're a functioning association you know right and how does this affect basketball you know because if these schools break away do they have their own basketball tournament are they still a part of right ncla basketball it's just, it just it's just a giant mess philip what did you make of this proposal yeah, I mean, look, we know the split of the top football has been coming. Part of that is due to just the nature of the business. Part of that is due to the fact there are so many FBS programs. You know, we originally broke into 1A and 1AA, and now they're letting everybody who wants to come back up in, and it's hurting the big boys from getting as much revenue. And so, look, they're going to split off. It's going to be one way or another. The NCAA wants to act like they care. Well, they do care because it's going to cost them a bunch of money. This is their way to try to save their own butt. So they're doing this to save their own butt and keep football under their realm. But, you know, when you throw in A, it wasn't going to work to begin with. Let's just make that clear. They're going to break off. Uh, You hope that the NCAA doesn't push them out in other sports so we can keep that fun thing we do every March intact and uh, teams can stay in their conferences, maybe even go back to the ones they should be in in other sports, but that's a topic for another day. But the minute they put this women's thing in there, look, they did that to stay in good with the government because Title IX is a law. And as well as staying good with the really, I know we're not supposed to get too political on the sports shows, but with the really left extremists that think women athletes should be paid the same as men despite not bringing in the same amount of revenue. And, you know, once they put that in there, this is going to make these teams say, yep, absolutely not. We get that you had to do that, so you stay in good graces of other people, but you're not staying in our good graces. We were going to break off anyways, so see ya. Yeah, there's a, I mean, that's the other thing. There's a whole legal component to this, too. Title IX benefits, you know, injury clauses. If they, if they essentially become employees, you have all that, too. You know, what, you know, what happens uh, in terms of, you know, short-term, long-term disability insurance. Like, all this stuff has to be worked out. And I don't know what the exact proposal outlines as far as all that. But uh, we will, by the way, we will have john gilbert ecuad on monday's show so i'll ask him about this you know and i'm sure they at least run the numbers see what the possibilities are uh, michael jones on youtube says the new subdivision thing if you are ecu you basically have to make it worse make it work the cost of dropping to new fcs is essentially the death of ecu athletics i, don't, I wouldn't i don't necessarily go that far i'm not saying ecu shouldn't try but you also you know if you just if you have to scrap together every penny just to make this move and then you can't be competitive at all in this landscape, then is it worth it? I don't know. I mean, that's that's what administrators, boosters have to talk about. I mean, ECU right now is struggling to compete in the Americans. So there has to be there has to be some real conversations about what's best for ECU. And you can still have a very proud, passionate fan base regardless of if you are in this or not. Now, in a perfect world, you would be. But, Bobby, I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, thinking about that uh, the yesterday, really last night, um, you know, my thought is I think what's going to happen with that new subdivision, it's almost going to be semi-pro. I right. mean, it, it's going to be professional athletics in a way, pay-to-play, which it, it's close to that now already with the NIL landscape, but even more so. So I think for ECU's sake – it will probably turn into more like the closest to college athletics as we know it, you know, right now in, in the sense of, you know, these guys are getting, not getting paid bukus of money. They're, they're playing because they love the game. They still will be compensated. But really what you're going to see in that new subdivision is going to be semi-pro. Um, it's going to be 
professionalism and in athletics and it's just yeah i don't know it's it sucks that it's happening but it's not surprising at the same time there's just such a big gap even between teams like michigan ohio state even now clemson oklahoma texas to like the likes of like virginia tech nc state and so like there's such a big gap from there to those schools like i i see those schools struggling like state virginia tech Boston College, like some of those schools struggling to keep up in this this whole race. So I, I just, you know, there's there's so many levels to this. Uh, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll try and wrap up final thoughts there. We could do a whole show on this, but uh, let's take our final break. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on Wednesday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Arr-ray-kay. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome in. Uh, a few minutes left. Yeah, John Moody. Great comment here. We need to start a list of we could do a whole show on this topics for the, <laughs> some of the slow summer days. There's no doubt, man. We're talking about the new proposal from the NCAA to Division One schools about the new subdivision. Again, we'll have John Gilbert, Director of Athletics, scheduled to come on Monday at 12. I'm sure that'll be a big topic. And, you know, he had kind of hinted. We've been talking to him on and off the record recently about look there's a big change coming he thinks there's a big split coming with college athletics and i think he probably got wind of this coming down the pipe and now it's it's out there for everybody to kind of digest michael jones says this is the same nonsense that people try to use to sell teams to go one double a in the 70s he says it's like six million a year to fund the minimum this is not a bigger ask than going independent in the 70s so i was not around in the 70s so I don't I don't know the specifics of that. I don't know if they were asking uh, people to pay uh, female athletes, you know, the same amount as you would pay the football team. But I mean, there's just a lot of layers to this. And could ECU afford it? I mean, maybe so. But there's also a, a scholarship deficit already. The Pirate Club can't cover. So you're not only giving them the scholarships now, you're giving them the this basically salary on top of that. I mean, that is a lot. And we you can't even overcome. raise a million dollars in Team Boneyard right now. So you're right. then asking. I mean, I would just assume Team Boneyard would migrate in with with um, whatever that new deal is with the university. But you're asking for six million. That's six times what we're trying to get right now. That's it's a big. I get what you're saying, Michael. I, I you know, in all reality, I would love us to be able to do that. I just don't realistically see it happening. Yeah, I mean, there there would have to be a lot of discussion, and you know, campus. Revenue would have to play, which the campus already helps out ECU athletics in some regards. You'd have to get more help from campus. You would have to redirect some of your revenue. You would have to slash expenses elsewhere to make it work. It would just be a lot to figure out. So, again, we'll talk to that. I talked to John Gilbert about that on Monday. Well, Bobby, fun show, man. I feel like we talked about a lot, maybe didn't accomplish a lot, but uh, got some good thoughts out there, had a lot of good interaction, and, I uh, appreciate your time as always, man. I think yeah. it's going to be a fun offseason. I do too. It's exciting. It's just a lot to talk about, a lot to speculate. Always love it when we get all these comments. That's what makes the show fun to me is when everyone out there is participating and throwing their two cents in because even though we're up here and you're you're listening to us, we don't have all the answers and you know, y'all's opinions just the same as ours. So, No doubts. Uh, Philip. thanks for producing as always. Uh, for Bobby, I'm Stephen Igo. Tomorrow... We will. Uh, we, we're we're going to talk to Mark Yellock, who actually was on staff at North Texas with John David Baker. So we'll get Coach Yellock's perspective 
of John David. I know he's very high on the hires. We'll talk to him. We're also scheduled to speak with Chris Hummer. He is a national reporter for 24-7 Sports. We'll talk to him about the portal, John David Baker, much more. We'll see you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Tis the 